reach me was a son of a preacher man that that checks out for our whole theme i know you and one of our guests is a son of a preacher man mm-hmm. and and then the other guest you probably heard of his account preachers and sneakers yeah shout out 2019 was it before the pandemic preachers i think so he's, he's been doing it for a while he's been beating that dead horse yeah that horse is Close to dead. Yeah, he took down Hillsong. He took down Mark Driscoll. He's taking down everybody. He's just canceling. He's canceling people. He is the only reason those those institutions have gone down. If it weren't for that, they'd still be thriving. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Ben Kirby. That is his name, Ben Kirby. And then we also he was have, anonymous for a while. He was anonymous for a but long time. But now he's out. He, he mm-hmm. he's living out as a as a proud public man. Yep. Yep. And uh, we have him on the show and his literary agent, Jonathan Merritt. Yes. It's our fir- is it our first two-guest episode? This is our first time having four white guys. We had to get borrow an extra microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Feels great. Four white guys, unsolicited opinions coming at you. Yep. We got all kinds of different white guys. And we, uh, we dive into what it takes to write a book, um, what a literary agent is looking for, um, what it's like to take down Hillsong. Yeah, we haven't actually done the interview yet, so we really don't know what we're going to talk about, but that's our plan. I didn't know you were going to Yeah, gonna I'm, I'm letting people see like behind the curtain. Yep. Um, so that's why we did Son of a Preacher Man as the intro. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's all about preachers and sneakers and preacher's kids and me. And Aaron. And I'm just here. Aaron's also here. He's the one that connected us all. Yep. Uh, you had a very big week. Yeah, fun week. Crazy travel shows. All that stuff. I want to know about, and I think everyone listening wants to know about, anyone anyone that follows you, mm-hmm. you opened for the other guy in Tommy Boy. Yep, for the, maybe <laughs> the, the best supporting com- comedic acting role ever. Uh-huh, but also Joe Dirt. Richard. There's there's a lot, a lot Richard. of great movies. He's in Grown Ups, which I haven't seen, but people yeah. hate for a lot of reasons. I don't know. David yeah. Spade, comedic genius, SNL legend. You opened for him. How was that? Yeah, best friends now. Great. We've been inviting each other to all kinds of different big family events. Mm-hmm. Get your friends uh, <laughs> David Spade or neutered. No, he's super nice. But I will tell you, I accepted the gig, and I wasn't 100% sure I was going to be able to make it back into Atlanta in time, but I kind of just accepted it and then planned on figuring it out because the night before I had a show in like Pebble Beach, California, Whoa. which is about as far from Atlanta as you can get mm-hmm. in the in the. 48 what are they called lower 48 lower 48 continental u.s continental united states um so originally my flight was booked to get back way too late to be able to do the david spade show on friday uh but i called and changed my flight to the red eye for those of you that don't know it means it's a flight that just goes through the middle of the night mm. so my flight was 10 52 p.m after my show at pebble beach so 
I go to Pebble. I get to Pebble Beach. I'm at the I'm at the Spanish Bay Inn, like one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed in. Yep. And I'm not even gonna get to sleep there. <laughs> so I check into the hotel. It's I just like a luggage locker. Pretty, pretty much. much. I'm just hanging out in there for a few hours. And uh, I was wondering this. Like I didn't sleep in the bed. Obviously. Do you think they still change the sheets before the next people come in? They probably came in. They're like. Either this guy didn't sleep here or he was in the military because he's so good at making this bed. <laughs> he's so good at making that's true. I could just be really good. It was also a double queen room, so there's two beds. And one <laughs> of them I did lay on for a few minutes, so it definitely seemed like all right, he touched this one. Hopefully, especially at a hotel of that quality, that many stars on Yelp, yeah. they walk in and they'll know they're like, someone's been here. I think they change them no matter what, both of them. I mean, I would love to think that. I don't want to burst your bubble. No, all hotels are perfectly cleaned every time. I stay Nothing in so- gross has happened in them. None of the curtains are crusty. I stay in so many hotels, I really don't like to think about anything like what we're talking about. But I, it crossed my mind. I was like, I'm not sleeping in this bed. I wonder if somebody's going to have to unmake it and then wash these clean sheets and then remake it. That's such a nice thought. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people don't think that. We do. Yeah. Because we're, we're stuff, nice I think. shelter boys. I almost, just to make it easier on everyone, I just... Got got in both of the beds, so there wouldn't be anybody having to make a big decision. I honestly probably would have done that. I would have I would have just like thrown some pillows around. Like now they know, and they don't. I didn't stress them out at all. They know that I was here. Do you not destroy a hotel room? In what way? Well, there's so many ways. I know. I know you're not like like peeing in a corner. No, I do like. I use a lot of towels. I don't use the same towel twice. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) That is the Andrew version of destroying a hotel room. Yeah, but I, then I leave them all in a very neat pile when I leave. <laughs> yeah. And some, a lot of times I leave a $5 bill on the desk. That's so nice. That's a thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a really good guy. Well, that probably puts them in another weird spot where they're like, was this a tip? Did I always wonder, it? too, what the policy is on that. Am I putting them in a moral dilemma? Because if you're not checking out and there's cash, you better not touch it. That's a crime. What if all this time they've just been having to turn it in and it just goes to the hotel? Ugh. You're just making La Quinta richer. Uh, I'm at a couple hundred bucks over the past three years. Um, probably not that much. Um, but yeah, so I hung out in the room for a while. I went and did the show. I, I had it timed so that if as soon as the show ended, when I was supposed to be done, I could get in my... The airport is an hour and tw- 10 minutes away. Hmm. So I get in my car, drive an hour and 10 minutes... And then I would get there. I would get to the airport right as the plane's boarding. So I was going to be cutting it close. And so I'm at this fundraiser event, which is at the hotel. And it starts 10 minutes late. And I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Oh, no. We started 10 minutes late. Uh, but I was like, all right, I built in a little extra wiggle room. So I go, I do the show. And this I, is good because I know the ending of the story, so I'm not. Yeah, nervous. there's a, there's evidence that I made it. It's like a movie about JFK or something. But I, I was going. truly stressed. I I gave so little thought to the show that night. I was just so worried about finishing it in time. It right. went. It was still good. I mean, I didn't like do bad or anything. I didn't. <laughs> of course, I didn't you're do, always I you always do perfect. I didn't do bad because I was unprepared. Right. I did bad because I wasn't talented. Um, but I do the show 30 minutes. I ended on 30 minutes on the second. So I did my time and I literally just sprinted out to my car. I already had my car loaded and packed, got in the car, drove about 15 miles over the speed limit for an hour and 10 minutes. Who are you? Crazy. I, I had to prepay the gas on my rental car, which I never do because it's this horrible deal. Mm-hmm. But I did that because I knew I wasn't going to want to stop. So I fly into the rental car place. I, uh, I park it, I say, 
here's the key. I, t- I think I tossed the keys to the guy. You tossed it? I didn't really toss it. Right. I think mentally I was in a place where I might have tossed. I think you might have done a little skip, like slightly faster than walking and handed it to him. Yeah, That's I did a behind did. the back toss and said, keep the change, even though there was no money involved. <laughs> but it's just what came out. Uh, I said, keep the change, grab my bags. I run. There's a There's a bus from the rental car center to the airport. I get out there. I'm at the place where you wait. No buses in sight. I'm looking at my watch. My plane's starting to board right now. Uh, so my contingency plan is there was a flight that leaves at 6 a.m. the next morning that would get me to Atlanta by 3.30, shows at 7. So I was like, that's too risky. If I miss that one, then I'm, that's the last chance. So mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, this bus isn't coming. I find the number of the bus somehow on the internet. I call them. I'm like, are there any buses coming? Because it's late at night. It's like 10 o'clock. Maybe they don't run and... She goes, yeah, one's on the way. I was like, okay, thanks. And then a few minutes later, I see the bus coming. I get on. They have to make a couple other stops. Uh-huh. I think I stood the whole bus ride. Uh, we get, I get in the airport, and there is no line at security. So I made it with like 20 minutes to spare. Oh, 20 minutes to spare. That's 20 easy. minutes to spare. Didn't get upgraded to first class, but I did sleep a couple of hours. Got home in Atlanta at 6 a.m., and came here and slept for four hours from 8 a.m. to noon. Good. And then went to the David Spade show. The show started... You went to your show. Yeah, my show. That happened to have David Spade on the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show starts at 7, so I got there at 6.15. Um, there's, a, you know, there's a loading area where the artists park. I'm one of the artists. And so I find that, and there's all these people waiting outside the uh like the artist entry that are clearly big david spade fans i could see them like looking at my car trying to be like is that him i was like no it's not i'm not i'm I'm a jeep grand Cherokee. what do what do clearly david spade fans they were holding posters okay hoping for autographs i believe that's a sign i'm like all right i'm in the right place so i go i park i go in um 45 minutes early feels appropriate and gets to be about 655 still no david spade Gets to be seven o'clock. They're like, yeah, they're they're on the way here from dinner, and there's another opener, one of his guys that travels with him, and uh, so it gets to be like six o five, and they and they come in. He's very nice. He introduces himself. I go pretty much straight on stage, do twelve minutes. It was really fun. Thankfully, we wait. We held the doors for like twenty minutes, so it was full, mm-hmm. which is always the the worry when you're doing a opening spot like that because sometimes you go on and not everybody's even in the room yet, so you're yeah. kind of just out there while everybody's getting settled but it's not that weird if it's a concert and it's a band and it's loud you can get there late you know like yeah. oh it's at seven the one i cares about is going to go on at eight right 15. but stand up it's a lot weirder yeah yeah a lot yeah it's everyone want sitting. everybody to be seated yeah but everybody was seated uh set went great um afterwards he was like that was really good and he was like uh i took some pictures of you let me text them and I was like, you want to have my, you're going to give me your phone number? So I have David Spade's phone number now. What is it? Uh, I don't have, I don't have it memorized uh, or okay, I would okay. totally tell everyone. Uh, but then after the show, he did great. His opener, um, Bobby did great. And it was just a really fun show. My parents came. What did they think? <laughs> they were, they were very proud of me, but they, uh, <laughs> I'm assuming David Spade is not the cleanest. David, he, he's not filthy, but he's definitely not clean. Right. So they stayed the whole show and I think they enjoyed most of it. Uh, and then hung out a little bit after. He's, everybody's super nice, super fun. That's awesome. And I was just happy that I made it. And then I pretty much been sleeping the last two days. 
Yeah. Has he, have, have y'all texted since? Has he been like, hey, you watching the Carolina game? Um, the next morning he texted me some pictures that we took on the stage and then he was uh, going to PayPal me for the payment. And he said, uh, well, those pictures that I sent you were expensive. So you actually owe me a hundred dollars. As a joke. He's a little joke he texted me. That's that's so, wild. Yeah. So we're just little, doing some jokes back and forth. So but, he didn't pay you. You just had to pay him $100. Yeah, I just paid him $100 since we did those pictures. Worth it. Yeah. Pretty good deal. You're now one degree away from every person in comedy. Yeah, that's true. Adam Sandler. Yeah. You know, just everybody. I'm one address book away from pretty much the whole industry. Yeah, like I'm, I'm casting for a couple of videos right now and a text me, hey, can I get this person's you know number? They just sent them to me. You could yeah. do that now. I'm terrified. With Judd Apatow. <laughs> I have a few, you're the same way, I know. We, I have a few like very famous people's phone numbers, and I'm terrified that I'm going to like be on pain medication one day and just call them all. Now's the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've done that, and I've... Uh, well, even... <laughs> you, uh, Our friend Shonik posted a meme, or he texted you a picture of Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil. Yeah, yeah. Who we would have never thought this, but do kind of look like us when we're like 60, yeah. right? Yep. Um, as far as like Dr. Phil's bald and a little wider and you're taller and skeleton vibes. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, you guys look great. Uh, and I <laughs> I posted it and tagged my friend Jordan, who happens to be Dr. Phil's son. Yeah, you're just friends with his son. Yeah, and then I, you know I was texting you about this and he saw it. He was driving, he said, but like didn't respond for a while. And then I freaked out because I was like, I don't know him that well. Is this is bad. Do they have a bad relationship? Was this weird? They're just funny. Yeah. So uh any of those connections, I feel weird about abusing those, but I'm gonna. Yeah, I feel like there should be a password for your like famous contacts in your phone so you don't accidentally abused your privilege of having them yeah you you should give anna or me yeah all those numbers and delete them from your phone maybe that so would be there's good. one layer i of can protection. get them if i ever need them but i'm not gonna accidentally do something listen one way or another i'm getting david spade's number that's what i'm doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's it it's probably not even his real number it's probably the one he gives to people that he needs to talk to them but he got a burner phone to talk real, to his, his dumb clean phone. openers every no. weekend but he's even funny in text. Like I was like, "Hey, can you send me those pictures?" And he goes, "Hold on, let me scour my phone." And I was like, "This is a fun, very David Spade way of saying it." It's a good that. word. Yeah. So really good experience. It's fun when the celebrities are who you hope they are. Exactly. Yeah. Because they aren't always. But he was super, genuinely kind and funny. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, speaking of super kind and funny, we have a advertisement. Great. I don't know what that transition means. Yeah, well, sometimes you just have to say a transition even if it doesn't work just to kind of for the flow of the episode. That makes sense. Yep, so here we go. Okay. <laughs> Are you a lover or a hater? Probably a little bit of both, right? As Americans, we love to hate stuff. Loving people is nice, and there are a ton of cell phone apps to help you discover your perfect love match, but we know that what you really crave is hatred. Other than Twitter, there's really not an app you can go to for sweet, sweet anger and loathing. Until now, introducing a new abhorrent platform, Detestation Station. On Detestation Station, you will take a comprehensive personality quiz to determine your key hatreds. Your results are analyzed with propriety, hostility software. Proprietary. Proprietary. Our guests are four minutes away. Now I'm stressed. Software to customize a constantly updating feed of things you truly detest. 
you know the guy from high school that you were still Facebook friends for some reason, even though you hate the things he says so much, and for some reason you love it, and every time you disagree with one of his posts in your head, you get a rush of endorphins? We've got tons of these dudes in Detestation Station. Uh, scroll for hours through our assortment of awful things that you'll love to be enraged by. Sound bites from former presidents that you hate. People putting cast iron pans in the dishwasher. Cell phone videos of fireworks. Clips of T.I. doing stand-up. That's very Atlanta-specific, but true. We've got three seasons worth of The Big Bang Theory on a loop. Young Sheldon coming soon. Create a profile now before your preferred username is taken. I already claimed at Trevor Bauer is innocent. Nope. Don't like that. That was a joke. Sign yourself up today. You'll love to hate a detestation station. Sign up today. Well, claim your claim your username. Trying to monetize hatred. Love it. Feels good. Um, well, that's enough of us. That is that is way too much of us. This is a solid uh, 17 minutes in. Hope you're still listening because we got a good one for you. Um, you're going to probably, I don't know, we haven't done it yet. You're probably going to love this conversation. We're about to have with Ben Kirby, a.k.a. Preachers and Sneakers, and literary agent Jonathan Merrill. No worries if not. Books. <laughs> Huge fan. <laughs> We're doing it. Uh, ben, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks oh for gosh. having us. Yeah, thanks. Welcome to Atlanta or welcome home to you, Jonathan. Thank, right? thank you. Yes. Do you, welcome do home. you claim Atlanta? Uh, yeah, it's where I was. It's where I was raised. It's home in a sense. Got it. All right, cool. Well, welcome back slash welcome home. Uh, y'all are here for a pretty fun reason. You want to talk about it? What are we doing? Well, uh, I'm just a tag along, um, but Jonathan, I could probably go into more detail about our situation, but um, I, yeah, we're going to the Masters. <laughs> we're going to the Masters. That's a cool. golf tournament. Yeah, if you don't know, it's like it's like Super Bowl, but for golf, right? Pretty much. That's what that's what it is. Yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of very grown people that freak out about this tournament as yeah. if it were Disney World. Oh, for sure. And, and Tiger's Mecca. Tiger's gonna be there. So yeah, I mean, is he gonna play officially? Yes, mm-hmm. he, he says is. he's playing. Which, Wild. yeah, if you, if you don't know golf, less than a year ago, he got in a, he almost died in a car accident. Yeah. Almost had his leg amputated. Yeah, that's right. And now he's playing at the highest level. I know, and he's had, the come, he's had a couple massive comebacks. So It's amazing what money can do for you medically. That's right. <laughs> you money can, and a little can-do attitude. Yeah, yeah. Right. pretty good. Yeah, it's like Magic Johnson. Is that a cure, or is he just the richest person? Right. <laughs> he can keep it at bay as long as it takes. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, thanks so much for swinging by. I know you all had... I totally hijacked your plans because Ben was like, let's get lunch. I'll be in town for a day. And I was like, let's, let's do the podcast for <laughs> like, two hours. Actually, let's could work. I leverage my relationship with you for content instead? <laughs> well, I've, I've done it like at least a couple times with you, Aaron, on the opposite side. So Yeah, that is true. It's, it's like, oh, fair. Ben's texting me. And you're like, oh, you're going to do an IG live. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. That's the new friendship. We've been on each other's podcasts. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, table stakes to have a podcast. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> We teed it up a little bit in the intro, but I would love uh, for you guys just kind of tee up what y'all do. Tee up. We're doing golf stuff. Gosh, we're doing golf references, baby. This is huge. You want to take a swing? Sure. Uh, wow. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, golly. I, I wish I had one to follow up. But uh, I guess what I do or mm-hmm. what I am. Yeah. Uh, I am a... I run... I started the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers, and that was like three years ago. I was this nothing dude that noticed that mega church pastors like, um, you know, 
Andrew's dad were wearing very expensive sneakers, except Andy's <laughs> was, not wearing. He even posted, I remember this, he posted some like um, parody thing of it that got a ton of engagement. That was one of my yeah, favorite it like, posts. It was like his Banana Republic jeans yeah. or something. It was so good. And people thought it was like the greatest thing ever. I saw, you know, because he's probably got a lot of fans and stuff. And people were like, this is the most hilarious post I've ever seen. Well, so, I think it made all his all the North Point people like, look, our pastor's not, in fact, he's not getting, you know, accused of this he's so far the other direction he can make a joke about it or right whatever. and i appreciated the security in it because i wish everybody did that um but yeah so i i started basically showing what sneakers were worth that pastors were wearing and it broadened into belts and jackets and um all types of apparel and a lot of people have opinions about it and people freaked out for a long time and then it kind of chilled out for a bit and then I was a part of this Hillsong documentary and people started to freak out about it a bit again. Um, and you know, it's, and you wrote a book, I wrote a book in between there. Um, hence our relationship with, with Jonathan, Jonathan basically is the only reason I have a book, but, um, yeah, May of 2020, I turned the manuscript in and the book came out April of 2021. Um, and I just wrote about, the deeper seated things that came from the sneakers discussion. Cause it's really just like not about sneakers at all. It's more about how, how we do church in the West and our obsessions with fame and money and appearance, that kind of thing. And Jonathan basically held my hand the entire way. I mean, cause it, if you've never written a book before, it's not just like getting on word and writing down 60,000 words. Like right. there's so much stuff that goes into it that, if you've never done it before, you have no idea what you're doing. So you got to do the numbers on the pages. Yeah, that's right. You got to each single page. You have to space over. Yeah. 50 well, how do you indent? You know, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. MLA format. That's right. Remember what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Need a refresher. But yeah, that's yeah, that's me. I do this. Uh, the Instagram account is still around. The book uh, did okay, and uh, it'll be a year this month that the book has been out. And so now, JM and I are friends, and uh, now we're going to this. Pretty cool golf tournament. <laughs> yeah. The book, I mean, I've, I've had it for about a year. I have read it, well, the first chapter once. Great. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Pretty <laughs> good. good. I haven't fully... <laughs> Very honest I, I listen to books. I do audio books. It's a pretty quick read or listen. Yeah, yeah. So you, I, yeah, I need to... You I recorded that. the audio book, didn't did you? Did you? I did. Yeah. You should have got all the pastors to, to do a chapter. Yeah, if only they would have <laughs> answered my... I thought I had a pretty good excuse there. I really, I'm really, i going to listen to it. It's like, it's like maybe a two-hour listen, I think, if you put it on one and a half. But there but there was... There's a bonus on there, because you were talking about pastors not sitting down with you. There's a bonus uh, yeah. on there. I did do an interview with Judah Smith at the end of the book, the audio book. Whoa, And cool. he's, you know, mm-hmm. Bieber's guy, and um, right. he's Bubba Watson's guy. Uh, he tells all these stories about how, Bubba Watson. How many, how many guys does Bieber have now? He, how many pastors well, he's, does he have? I think he's knocked down a couple. Off. Yeah, he's knocked a couple <laughs> off true. the list there. That's true. That's um, true. But he has plenty. Uh, but yeah, Judah Smith was really cool to do that and was pretty honest about the whole situation and the conversation. And he was probably nicer to me than he really should have, which is probably why he's friends with all these. I mean, he's just got really good people skills, much like some of these other guys. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that's me. Cool. Awesome. And yeah, and y'all met through the book world. So John on my podcast. Oh, first. Cool. Well, no. At the very beginning, you kind of gave it a bump of publicity on Twitter. I remember it. I won't forget it. Um, because I had like 200 followers and my buddy, Seth Jones, who was a DJ, posted it on his Instagram story and he had like 10,000 followers or something. And that kind of caught people's eye and then it caught Jonathan's eye and he tweeted about it. And then 
it became a firestorm. I was like, great. Well, my life is over now. <laughs> <laughs> or at least my life is completely different this is now. all like, I do now. And so that's where it started. We, we stayed in touch, and he was on my podcast, and we started talking about a book. And Yeah. Cool. I did not know it was that early. It was. It was early. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've done for a while is I'm a journalist. And so I have a journalist, no journalist, just like pastors, no pastors. You know, it's just sort of the water you swim in. So when I saw what he was doing, I was like, people should be writing about this. So I sent it to my friend Scott, who was writing for... Esquire mm-hmm. uh, sent it to Whitney, who was uh, covered it for Fashionista. Fashionista, and then you know, next thing you know, it's like uh, RNS covered it, and then it was going to the New York Times, and Eliza, I think, or somebody at the New Yorker. So it just kind of exploded from there. Once, once like it kind of gets in the yeah. bloodstream of the community, everybody kind of wants a piece of it, mm-hmm. and so media it just exploded. Yeah, it really shouldn't have, but it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Cool. And then what was your, what's been your career journey? I know you've done a lot of different things. So I still write a little bit. I'm still a columnist. I'm a contributor for the Atlantic and uh, I write a bit still, but I, I do a lot of, uh, literary agenting now, actually, you know, trying to kind of midwife projects that, that I could never write. It's not my thing, but it should live. And it's, as he said, it's such a delicate, difficult thing. People think that you just sort of like sit down and do it. Like it's like 12 blog posts strung together. And it's very, very different than that. You have to know the industry. You have to know the ins and outs. And, you know, and one of the things that I did uh, even previous to I moved to New York about nine years ago was, was being a ghostwriter. And so I was like showing up, helping people put together proposals, writing. Uh, I wrote about, I wrote over 50 books before, I, you know, I decided like, why, if I'm doing this, if I'm already putting these things together, I'm helping people develop their ideas. Couldn't, couldn't I do that in, in this other capacity? And so that's when I started working with folks like, like Ben, just really finding people that I like, that I want to, I want to, you know, devote my time to who have really, really good ideas and to be kind of an accelerator of that process with them. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. So if for you, when you're working with authors, is it usually you trying to find people that you think, Hey, they might not know this, but they should write a book. Or is it to the point where people are like, Hey, I want to write a book. Will you help me? Or is it a mix of that? A lot of people come to me now, but I am not able to work on most of the books that come to me for one reason or another. You know, I think we, I had mentioned this before we started recording, but over 70% of Americans say they, they think they have a book inside them, which yeah. means like most, more than likely, if you run into someone at the grocery store, they need surgery, they, they, right. they need yeah. surgery. <laughs> but they believe, the book. they believe they should, or they will write a book, but the truth is, is most people will never will never actually do that. But there's some number in the mix that that know they have a book and they do have a book. So a lot of my clients, I, I get it's sort of by invitation. You know, you reach out to them, you form a relationship. But but yeah, people people come knocking on your door once they know that you do it. Then they come to you and tell tell you how wonderful yeah. they are and how wonderful their story is. And it's um, the same as like TV agents and stuff. Like yeah. everybody, until you do, it's this like vicious cycle where you're not going to get an agent without experience, but you can't freaking get experience without an agent or meaningful experience. And so you have to break in there somehow. Like I had the benefit of having a platform. And so that helped. I mean, there's plenty of people that had better ideas than me or better writers, but publishers absolutely care about platform because all they care about is selling books. Like really it's a business Mm -hmm. and it's to take a no name person. There has to be something 
for an agent to give you the time of day. For sure. Right. Yeah. I know that's, that's probably super interesting because so often it's a person and you got to work with them and figure out that idea, like a Dustin Nickerson, potentially yeah. our friend who just came out of the book. Yeah. But then with you, Ben, it's like this golden idea, not so much like the person at the front. Right. Um, at least not. And it wasn't formed. Like it was, it seemed important enough to write a book about it, but we sold the idea for the book basically as an outline saying like, if I were to get a deal, I would write about this. Yeah. And then we wrote on the back end instead of like a lot of people have a full manuscript or have this burning idea to write. Yeah. That's the difference too, because the question is like, what kind of book do you want to write? Some people want to write a novel and, and if you're selling a fiction project and, and I'm sure it works differently for like small independent publishers. I, I don't, I work mostly with New York houses, which have sort of eaten up most of the industry. And so those folks, if you're going to do a fiction proposal, you really need a manuscript. They're going to read the whole manuscript. So you have a short proposal, an entire manuscript. If you're selling a nonfiction uh, book, you also create a proposal, which we did. But uh, alongside that proposal, you really have like maybe two sample chapters. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have all the chapter synopses. You're going to explain like, who's your audience? How are you gonna? What? How are you gonna get the word out? Why are you gonna sell this book? What's what's your role in this? Um, and then you're gonna have like a little bit of a sample so they can get a taste of it and see what you're capable of. Then they essentially pay you to write the book. Yeah, that's wild. How is that process for you? The proposal process, sample chapters, all that. It was. I mean, it it took a long time in a short amount of time. Like I I was getting my MBA at the time, and so I was really only had early mornings and late nights to work on this deal. And it's, it's like building a, a startup pitch deck really. Cause it's, it's about the aesthetic. It's about how it reads. It's about how it flows. You have to get endorsements for a book that you haven't even written. So I'm calling, I might've even hollered at you about an endorsement. I can't remember. You didn't know. Um, well, you're probably on the list. <laughs> All right, um, if eight more people said no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that kind of thing where you, you're trying to talk to influential people and say, Hey, would you back me if I wrote something? Like yeah. This? And, um, we, we had this whole back and forth, like one, we had to develop the outline because I was like, I don't know, even know if there's a book here. I don't know. I don't know if I can write a book. I don't know if I, I've never done that kind of thing. I don't have that kind of confidence. Um, but once we started kind of fleshing it out, I mean, this is where somebody like Jonathan's super helpful where he just giving you open ended questions to answer, like go back, answer X, Y, and Z questions, and then come back with what you think would be a good topic for a, a chapter. Um, so that was a really good practice, but yeah, the majority of the time was really like messing with the colors and like, once we get the outline, it's this whole like design thing that I could have probably paid a graphic designer, but we were trying to do this super lean because I'm freaking poor and, and nothing's guaranteed and nothing's point, guaranteed. Right? Yeah. Nobody's bought it or anything. Um, and we had some good examples to work off of. Um, I would hate to do that again, like building the proposal. It was a, I mean, I was, it was during like midterms for, the second year of my MBA program. Um, so it was a ton of freaking work and it's just like, I hope this leads to something because it's nobody's paying you to do it at the time. And, um, yeah, any, well, I would say one thing that's important, um, to think about is like most agents don't do proposal development. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is like, I, when I decided to do this, I wanted to do it differently. 
you know, there's like most people are doing like a Walmart approach. It's kind of big box. You bring them your proposal fully designed out, which most folks are like, how do I do that? And they'll go figure it out. I don't, they don't have time to teach you. They don't have time to work with it. Yeah. That's something that I do that's different, which is just really, I, I get really excited about proposal development and like working with the idea and kind of helping to flesh it out. So I start asking really, really basic questions that most people haven't asked to really help them kind of figure out like, what is this? Where is it going to live? Who, what kind of person would pick this up? And then what are they looking to hear from me? What will, what will maybe change their life or change their thinking in some way? And most agents will say, send me your proposal, and if I get a chance, I'll look at it, right. which is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah that's terrifying. It's so <laughs> yeah. sad. Yep. Yeah. And it's like in the film world, you write a screenplay, they're like, this is my masterpiece, and then it's just floating around. You never know if someone's going to look at it. Mm. Oh, right. That'll suck your soul out. Yeah. How much does like social media following play into the attention you would get from like the book industry, whether it's publishing or literary agents? Because I'd imagine... Someone like you who has this huge Instagram account, that's very attractive mm-hmm. to a publisher, isn't mm-hmm. it? Is that because that's how it is in stand up right now to be able to have opportunities? They're like, all right, well, what's your following? What's your mm-hmm. following? Because they know that translates immediately into sales or money or whatever. So is, has that become a bigger deal in this industry too? I'm assuming. Platform is huge. Platform is, is a really big part of it. That being said, I've sold books with major publishers where people have 6,000 followers, but I knew the idea was good. It was different. It was sellable. Uh, it was well put together and we sold the book. So, but in general, that's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough sell. If you don't have a platform, I mean, platform is one of the things they're buying. They're not just buying the idea. And some of this is because like, you know, or it's not the days of like Ernest Hemingway, right? Where, where you, you mail something in and somebody is just like, it's whatever they fall in love with is what they pay you to write there. A lot of this is done in accounting. So somebody sitting in like Penguin Random House on 50 whatever street, you know, they go in there and they create a basically a P&L algorithm and there's proprietary algorithms with every house. And so they're going to plug in, they're going to look at comps. So what are some other books that are like your book? And, and one of the big things you don't want to say to an agent, by the way, like just pro tip is, is nobody's ever written anything like this before, <laughs> oh, of course, <laughs> right? But that's a big one. So you have to start with like, what are the, what are comps? What are some other books that we can kind of look at and map this onto? They're going to plug in your social media following. They're going to figure out like, where do you speak? How many people do you speak to? If you're a pastor, let's say like, how big is your church? If you have a podcast, how many listeners do you have? And so they're going to plug in all of those numbers and then that's going to spit back at them. Uh, a kind of range or a number. And then their pub board is going to say, okay, we can pay this person, we think, within this range comfortably. However, the other thing that you should know, because when they pay, they're going to then pay you um, an advance to write the book. 95% of books do not earn their advance. So the can book industry, it's, <laughs> you can confirm this. Okay. Um, so most books do not earn back their advance. It, the mm-hmm. book industry works a lot like the film industry. It's built on tentpole projects, which means most projects lose money, but the ones that make money, because you know how much money will flow into, into the marketplace, the ones that make money will make back pay everybody else's bills. Yeah. And so it's that 5%, you know, like for every, you know, fill in the blank pastor that comes along and writes a book and the publisher takes a bath, you have a purpose-driven life that makes like crazy cash and everybody else moves into the positive. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's like, um, it's like venture capital for sure. And in baseball world, our friend Colin McHugh is part of this, uh, 
it's it's so interesting to me. Fandex is what it was called, where they took twenty or so guys, ran them through an algorithm, and they're like, "We project you're going to make this in your career." Um, so I'll we'll give you, I don't know, a random like five million dollars for ten percent of your career earnings, and they just need one guy to explode, and it pays for everybody. A couple guys blew out their arms, but they have like insurance, you know, pretty much on it. Uh, it's fascinating. It, it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. I don't know. Um, can we talk about numbers? Yeah, percentages. Percentages. Sure. So, like, what? Uh, you're looking at an advance. Um, is it you just kind of project what a book would make, and then the advance would be yeah, half so, of that? Like, how does that work out? So, uh, no, it's not exactly like that. But let's say because because it's based on your royalty rate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's how much is how much will this book earn? Like, let's say that you earn a certain percentage of royalties. That's not total what the book will make. Mm-hmm. So um, somebody will pay you an amount of money. It's paid out in in like several different payments, typically, depending on what every publisher is kind of different. But you're going to be paid, say, a portion upon signing the contract, a portion upon successful completion of the manuscript, a portion upon the actual like publication of the book. And then some publishers now are staggering payments. So they have a little payment that's like six or 12 months after publication. So it's like, you're, this is not going to make you wealthy uh, over the short term unless you are, you know, Kim Kardashian right. or something. Yeah. Um, so, so those those numbers those numbers can can range, um, and you know, there are books that sell for twenty five thousand, and there are books that sell for millions and millions, and it depends on how 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 big is your niche, and um, you know, how many readers are there potentially. Like, if you're writing a book on knitting, how many people read books on knitting? So, it's it kind of works on a on a bit of a sliding scale. It's very yeah. much like its own individual. <clears throat> tiny startup company where like there's an addressable market and it's they're forecasting how much of that addressable market they can capture and but they're also or at least what i learned is that they really kind of to andrew's earlier question about the social media following they're really banking on the author selling every day all day to their audience to the point where they're beating them over the head with it right for sure and i wasn't completely uh, aware of that going into it where it was like, Oh, this is, this is on me to sell this as much. And that was kind of like pulling teeth because like, I don't, it's you so know, painful to do yes, self promotion. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Cause like I'm self-aware enough to know that it, it's a weird kind of imagery thing given the subject matter that I'm talking right. about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is tough, tough. yeah. So That's like really tough, all of my, any, you know, any dollars I've ever made have just gone to therapy because it's really <laughs> like this ongoing conflict thing. Um, but it is interesting how they kind of treat it as its own little. You give your therapy in advance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, look, <laughs> just, just keep this card <laughs> and keep charging it, bro. So, the uh, so who today are the authors that can ask for what? I'm trying to think who are the top authors today that are getting the biggest advance or are getting the biggest deal? Is it like the Stephen Kings? Or is it like the Malcolm Gladwells, or is there no way of knowing because it's all private? You know, it depends. I mean, people who have had success in the past, is not a, it's not a reliable indicator of success in the future. I think people right now are looking for emerging voices, people who are doing something different. So what happens with a person like a Malcolm Gladwell is they come onto the scene, and then you get all these Malcolm Gladwells. And, and those, each of those, like, (laughs) like, you know, it's like there's Coke and then there's like all these like diet Cokes, these knockoffs, and they will eat into the market share of what that person is doing as people replicate that. And what tends to happen is, is, is like authors like that have a shtick 
and they just kind of repackage it in different ways where they're kind of doing it over and over and over and they're evolving to some degree, but their market share is, is either going to hold steady or it might, you know, it might decrease as other people pop up. So folks are often looking for like emerging markets and they love IP. So like Preachers and Sneakers comes along, it has IP, right? Emmanuel Acho, like all the stuff that exactly. Emmanuel Acho did the past couple of years, right. it seems like he has just been a gold mine. I mean, one, because he's legit and deserves it. But I think from my perspective, not being really in the industry, it's stuff like that where it's like very uh, culturally relevant, in your face. Everybody wants to talk to this guy. I'm sure he got to name his price, yeah. at, least, at least on his second book, like his first book. I mean, he is. it's people like that that are really... Them and megachurch pastors are For the sure. ones that are getting yeah. to basically name their price. <laughs> we need more leadership books. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's how right. How to find be God's a leader. Best. Yeah, and how to be a Can leader. Anyone teach me about leadership? <laughs> really, that's what only I say in when a church context. When I walk into Barnes and Noble, I go, "Can any of these teach me about how to lead in a faith-driven world?" <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, and then, and then there's the other the other part because. Part of it is you, your content, your personality, but the other part is the marketplace. So what does the marketplace want, right? So for example, and you cannot always predict that. So like, let's say there's a global pandemic, for example, um, books kind of started flying off the shelves, but certain genres did very, very poorly. Certain ones did well. First time Travel authors did badly. died. <laughs> Travel was not a, that was not a big one, but like sourdough yeah. cooking, yeah. You know, yeah. bread, bread cookbook huge. did okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you were, if you were, um, you know, like Glennon with Untamed, yeah. she, she did very well because she had an audience who knew her and they were comforted by her. And so when she wrote a book, they were like, I want to hear from a friend. So her book sold like bonkers. And there were a lot of other books that came out that were very good books, but because of the zeitgeist, the moment, what the marketplace wanted, they sold 500 copies and she sold, you know, 4 million or whatever. Yeah. And Which so, is insane. 4 million a, books is crazy. insane. And she so, continues to. Yeah. Like, she's still trying, selling. Trying to so. picture what 4 million books would look like in a stack. Is that like a, <laughs> a lot. football field? I have no idea. Well, how, how high? high? Yeah. How high? <laughs> no, I can, only, I can only think in one plane. Is how I can <laughs> right. Yeah, you're a, you're a 2D guy. How many sure. football fields of one book height would it be? Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that's Emmanuel Acho. He kind of, that moment, you yes. know, Black Lives Matter protest became like the voice on social media right. for so many people. And he did it in a way that was so like, um, the way he did it was classy and like was perfect for the kind of conversations he was trying to start. Like he, it didn't seem like he was trying to uh, like benefit off of the moment. It seemed like he truly was like, I'm doing this thing that is connecting with a lot of people. Yeah. How do I scale this and help other people have these type of conversations? Sure. Well, one thing you should also know is like it's the, the length of time it takes to produce a book. So especially now with supply chain issues, cause it's hard to get books printed. If you come to me right now with an idea, best case scenario, that book will hit a shelf in 24 months. Yeah. So if you're trying to write something based on what's happening in the world right now, you're already way behind. You're really having to figure out like what is just barely emerging so that by the time your book comes out, that's hit if you're trying to tie into kind of a cultural moment. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we did the deal January of 20 and the book came out April of like the end of April of 21. That's right. And it was, and it was probably six months too late. I think like we were and that really was writing fiercely. I mean, yeah, you wrote fast. I wrote every day for like two or three months, thousand words a day. I mean, it, that's wild. Yeah. My, uh, my, my friend Courtney works for an agency that does cultural forecasting. Mm -hmm. 
I never really thought about it in the the book space. It makes so much sense. Like think about fashion and food, and they're just like tracking trends. And yeah, trends. and they're trying to see what's coming next, so people can alter their marketing strategies or mm-hmm. content strategies. I'm assuming that's massive in the book world as well. Huge. And some of it wow. you can foresee, and some of it you can't. Like nobody could foresee that there would be a second wave of the civil rights movement. And as soon as it did, you had books that had been out in the marketplace a year, yeah. two years, three years. They were all boing, bing, 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 hitting the New York Times bestsellers list. They were basically <laughs> dead as far as the public published. They were backlist. Right. They were not even like for white people. New yeah, books. white like, fragility. It's, it's over. Those books. Right. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what um Ben? What was your like looking back? What uh what would you tell Ben a year and a half ago, two years ago, they started writing. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's such like a, at the time you only have the information in front of you. And so it's kind of a unfair thing to put on yourself, I think, but I would, um, have probably considered the, uh, the fact that I would have to actually sell the book. Like my, my understanding of it going in was that, hey, I'll sell them the idea, I'll write the book, and I'm good. But really, the work comes once the book, like going up to release and then after release. And I just didn't love that. Like I didn't, you know, John, I was complaining to Jonathan all the time about like not wanting to do a newsletter, not wanting to do IG Lives, or right. not wanting to do that kind of stuff. Um, was that contractual at all? Like did you have to it, post a certain time amount? Not like, technically, amounts, but it's like, hey man, we, we, are you going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but it was, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's interesting, though, that the the publishers own so much of the book, yet still give you so much, which can be good or bad. Like, if you really care about how you're putting out your content, then it's good to have all that control. But for a guy like me that didn't really want to do a ton of that, it's interesting how they own, like, 80% of the book, yet they want you to do, like, 90% of the sales, it right. seems like, or at least 90% of the like social media marketing activity yeah. strategy, that kind of thing. And especially now when they're kind of buying your billboard space that comes along with you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I would definitely do it again. I, there was some like interpersonal things that I screwed up a bit about like, um, you know, Jonathan had a really good way of asking these questions about like, think back to your childhood and X, Y, and Z things that happened. Um, there were some like stories and people I put in the book that I didn't really give them a heads up about beforehand. And that blew up in my face a bit, like come release week, which was like super disappointing. Cause it's like the biggest week of your life. Yeah. Um, but I like, I've never written a book before. I've never like had to write childhood stories before. Yeah. It's and like, so, it's like having an ugly baby, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're so excited. You work on it for so long. Right. Oh, unless you're a guy, you just kind of do the thing. You're always months and do. months of development. Yeah. And then, right. then it happens and you're like, I kind of mess this up. Yeah, this should have felt better. Like I left out one of my really good friends in the acknowledgement section. Like I've listed my lists and lists of my closest friends. And one of the guys that's in one of those groups, I just leave him out completely just whiffing it. And the guys in this text thread that I'm in, they like very much called it out right when the book came out. And I was like, great. That's that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I like, I felt so terrible. I sent him this nice bottle of whiskey and everything. I was like, dude, this was not intentional, bro. And I'm, (laughs) you know, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I care about that. Whenever you sign a book now, you go to that page and write his name in (laughs) whatever copy you have in front of you. Um, what are you doing on that He's looking through his closet being like, do I spend too much of my belts? Yeah. (laughs) Why does he hate me? But yeah, it was, it was stuff like that where I, you know, you kind of have that pit in your stomach when you realize that you've upset somebody. And I even talked to Jonathan about this where, or I think you probably said this, that if, when you write something, someone's going to get upset about it. And, you know, when you write about family or you write about friends, it, and you don't tell them that it's, it's kind of a shock 
to not know that your name or, or description is in a book that's going worldwide. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm very much aware of that now. And I, I think I would still include some of this stuff, but I would probably grease the skids a little better. I think a lot of people who write books, they, they, they fantasize about what it will be like to hold this book that has their name on it and mm-hmm. how will they feel. What they don't realize is that when this goes out in the world, so it's a cultural artifact, you also have to factor in how everybody else will feel. Your your friends and your family, if you, in this case, you know, there was a, most of the books that I do are general market. This had, this had a, a strong faith component. So people feel like the stakes are really, really high. Yeah. So they can get offended. The people who, the, there are going to be strangers who will come after you and say like all kinds of, I mean, these days, right? Like you can talk about kittens and rainbows and people be like, rainbows? Like, yeah. They're just, <laughs> people get have very, very strong opinions about things. And so people don't always anticipate the way that, that once these things go out in the world, the way that they will make other people feel and the way that people will behave as a result of those feelings. Yeah, and there's no editing once it's out. That's yeah. what's, that's what it's I like was sending about. an email like, no, don't go, don't go. I've yeah. said some dumb stuff in you know on a on a video, and I'll just delete it. Yeah, and like right. some people saw it, but it's gone. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's in print, and that's why I mean, you spend hours and hours on the editing thing to make sure that every you know everything isn't plagiarized, everything is cited correctly. Yeah, everything is like all the semicolons are in the right places because once it's in print, bro, like they've paid to For to sure. print that thing. I would need in my contract like all the the ink packets like if you rob a bank <laughs> so if i like freak out and like blow them up blow them up push up i hit the button blue ink yeah that, that is terrifying yeah the yeah. whole first edition was destroyed by <laughs> how do you deal with that i mean i guess y'all, y'all both do comedy i mean i know you're doing comedy more consistently have y'all run into that as far as like offending people that are going to text you like hey man yeah, yeah. We're, luckily For, we're not the most edgy probably no, but for, in stand-up, it's nice because you get to do it in front of people enough that you, by the time you make it permanent by recording it and releasing it, you have so much data of how people have responded to it that you're not really surprised by much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine I haven't recorded an hour and released it, but from my friends that have and from even just doing clips, there is some comfort in knowing I've done this in front of 200 audiences and there was has not been a... It's universal. Know, I, yeah. I, I've been testing it. But, but when you're just writing something Good point. and putting it out there and you know, a few friends have read it maybe, I mean, who knows? There might be a landmine you didn't see. Notice. Right. It's a very small test market. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so really impossible you, to know. you can't control because, I mean, uh, comedy, you're lucky because you can just be like, it's satire. It's a joke. And, <laughs> and then you can like, you get an out. But if you say it seriously, yeah. there's, less, there's less wiggle room. And the, nowadays, you don't know how it will be viewed in a future moment. Right. Totally. right. Sure. So somebody's like, you know, that was really funny when Jerry Seinfeld said that in 1990, whatever. And now looking back, it's like there, people have different feelings about it. And it's so, true. you know, some of this is just a process of letting go. You know, you just have yeah. to let it, it's like any creative act. You just have to like let it go. Cause you can't control that. But there's also yeah. a benefit too, that comes where people will take things out of it that you had no intention of. Like I've had people message me saying like, my life has changed or like my faith is completely changed mm-hmm. because of this book. And I'm like this idiot dude, <laughs> military guy that like does this dumb Instagram account yet somehow it has been intertwixed in a way that they've connected it to their faith journey. And so it's stuff like that, that, you know, counters it a little bit where that feels fulfilling to write something and people get meaning out of it, which is ridiculous yeah i mean think about getting some of those messages once you just post wiener jokes online <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm like what 
Like you're like, dude, man, you saved my in life. In the hospital, <laughs> and this is like keeping you going. All right, great, I guess. <laughs> That's a book. That's, That's a, a book. Wiener jokes from the hospital. <laughs> yeah, wiener jokes from my hospital bed. A memoir. Uh, That's it. Aaron Tuning. Yeah. Are we writing this down? Yeah. Uh, Do you have a book in you, Andrew? Oh, you, you did have those those a, pains in your butt not too long ago. Yeah, that might have been a book. <laughs> a boxy figure. Hard to yeah. know. Yeah. He's been going to the you've been going to the chiropractor for those, right? Yeah. He said there's a the problem is there's a book in there. You just need a C section. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was like, ah, you keep trying to tell up. these agents this. But. Yeah, we have your results and it's a book between your ribs. Right. Uh what's the did you ever do any like wild, weird promotion things or get asked? Because I know like in nowadays when you're promoting something, it's like, all right, go get on as many podcasts as you can or uh-huh. go on a, a TV or whatever. I don't know what it looks like specifically for books. You can't be like, oh, advertise my book in somebody else's book. Right, like, right. So what is, did you do anything weird? And what are kind of the main ways in this world that that goes? Yeah, I did some weird, like early morning, like channel three news yeah. uh interviews which was like tv i guess technically but it's like so ben we heard you like sneakers and (laughs) preachers well they've done no research they're just saying like here's the next segment ask this guy why he started this thing and then get it out and half of those i filmed didn't even release i guess because i think uh, i was who i said i was (laughs) and uh they let me off the hook um but it was stuff like that i would do these you know at that point you're trying to get as much exposure as possible so you're doing all these obscure like theology podcasts where they're really trying to get into it. And I'm just like, I mean, the, the hardest part about this whole deal was like, we had our first kid the week before the book came out. And so we had this whole like virtual press tour lined up basically the day after my kid came into the world. And so I'm literally have no sleep, no anything and trying to be, I mean, talking with mass media in a way that's trying to like be coherent. And, um, I mean, it got weird. I, I don't remember what I said. I mean, I think that's why a lot of, like I did Inside Edition. Who watches Inside yeah. Edition anymore? <laughs> but um, everybody knows what it is. Right, but that never aired, I think, because it probably was so incoherent. But yeah. <laughs> but Jonathan's done some weird uh, interviews as well. I've listened to them. I have. Uh, which, Not on which, your. Which ones are you, you got, thinking you got, about? You got, you got, um, you got <sighs> bamboozled by some like MAGA dudes oh, yes, several years happened. ago. And there, there was a guy, there was a guy on this podcast who was, he was doing um, a Trump impression. And, yeah. and and was talking to me as if he were Donald Trump and he wouldn't he wouldn't stop come out doing of, you it. did not know that going no. in I went into it my pu- the publicist at the time I was releasing a book and my publicist was like hey we've scheduled this thing and she gave me like the boilerplate the description of the podcast I was like felt pretty sort of run the mill and so you know I was on vacation I like came in from the beach I had done no prep work and like just called in and they just started railing on me. And uh, this one guy who was doing his Donald Trump, imp- I, I just remember he was doing a Donald Trump impression. And I was like, I am really struggling to respond to your questions. <laughs> is that what the podcast always is? They just I've never listened to it other than that. It I don't was know. I don't so even know how bizarre. I came upon it either. Did you, did you carry on? Did you finish the interview? It was the worst thing. I think I've it got contentious because I think they must have seen your maybe political commentary at some point on I'm Twitter sure. or something. Yeah, it was one of those gotcha moments. Yeah. yeah. And you try to always a avoid weird those. thing to do in a podcast. It's like, hey, would you come take some time and be a guest on our thing? Yeah. And so we can try to trick you. And yeah, I mean, there are people are out there trying to do anything to get their clicks or get their sure. views and you know you don't necessarily blame them because that's the currency of 
yeah, attention is everyone's yeah. currency now, but it's Have like you seen Aaron's TikTok. Okay, I mean, <laughs> all right, just, all right. Oh, music noises. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> got got by Donald Miller. Oof! Did you really? He's a legendary writer. I loved Blue Like Jazz, like New School Donald Donald Miller. Um, or? no, it wasn't like Business Leader. It, it oh. was pre all that. But um, so this is Vine days. It was Vine days, but I think right after Vine ended, someone on his team reached out to have me on his podcast, a Story Brand Podcast, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know what it was. Um, and it was to talk about. I somehow got this. I don't know if they said this or if I made it up. Um, but they want to talk about kind of the new emerging influencer comedy type culture. And I was like, yeah, I can talk about that. I've done it a bunch. Do you know this? No. <laughs> I don't know if I told this. <laughs> I think about it. I'm not kidding. Once a week and I get sad and nervous <laughs> and it's over. I do the same. It is years <laughs> over. Um, so we do this. It's, you know, Zencaster. I'm in my apartment in New York. Um, and we do the intros. It's, it's a good first 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm doing all right. I have a couple good stories in there. And he goes, so what is comedy? <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, what? I was like, well, it's different. It's subjective, you know, and just kind of made up an answer. It's tragedy plus time. He's like, here's some stuff that I think is fun. It was, I don't know what I said. Hmm. And then he was like, okay, but like, what happens in the brain? And he just, just kept drilling it. down. And I was like, I had to be like, dude, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you the wrong like, guy this here, is not man. what I thought this was. And <laughs> I think we both knew in that moment. You know, there's no video, so I'm just sitting there just so red. Like, I'm blowing this with the smartest man on earth, yeah. <laughs> one of my heroes. Um, and fi- it was supposed to be an hour-long interview. 18 minutes in, he's like, I think we got it. Yeah, I think yeah. this, this will be like, maybe, yeah. might be like a segment. On like a, and I was like, just please hang up. I got to go. I got to go. It's, it was terrible. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, I got the email a couple days later. You know, we'll just, we're going to save it and just We're going to bank like, it. Put it on ice. Bon- I'm self-aware enough. Clip. You made the bonus clip. I know. It was, oh. It's only like the most influential writer of his I time. Know. I know. <laughs> it was awful. I think I have heard you tell that, but I thought you were going to say, like, he tricked you to, like, I thought you were going to be No, it was miscommunication, obviously. It was just a, hey, you're not who they thought. No, he thought I was, like, a comedy scientist or something. Yeah. <laughs> An so expert on the comedy functional neurologist. Comedy. <laughs> I'm an idiot that yells at my cell phone, dude. Wow. <laughs> That's what it. is laughter? Yeah. Was, What's the deal? It was rough. <sighs> um, you uh, talk, so You want to talk about it more? I don't. I want to move on, Jonathan. <laughs> um, there's going to be people listening to this, uh-huh. probably about 70%, that are like, okay. I got a book in, yeah. in yeah. my gut. Yep, I right need in. a C-section. Get in your, this baby. Just in your butt. I'm, I said I'm, gut. I said, okay, okay. But, yeah. I wasn't sure if we went back. Yeah, I don't know. Wherever it is, every body is different. I'm cool. constipated, and the only fiber that can get this book out of me is it's an agent, <laughs> Jonathan Merritt, literary agent. Yeah. So say they don't have a Jonathan Merritt in their life that is yeah. kind of helping them mine for gold. Yep. And I don't mean physically. All right. Um, what would what? you say to them? You're like we're talking about books and butts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got it. Um, I mean, is it is it kind of develop the treatment and try to get it in front of someone? Is it reach out to someone who's in the world and get advice? What would you say? Well, first thing I would say is find find an audience first. So go out and do it. There are so many other ways to have. If if what you care about is having a conversation and not having a physical product with your name on it, which is more of a, a an ego play, right? If you if you if you simply want to have a conversation and you think it's an important conversation, there are so many ways that you can do that. And so if a person can go out there and do that and do that well, it sort of becomes kind of proof of concept 
right? As people are attracted to that, it will tell you whether or not this idea is any good. And it takes time. I mean, you know, my people think, I think when you write a book, most of us have a different experience than, than Ben had. Most people have an experience like I had where you spend years writing film reviews and news articles and building a, a platform and developing your thinking. And then you get to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I think most people don't want to do all the things that you have to do before the possibility of writing a book opens up. But if you've done that, then I think you have to ask really basic questions like, who's your audience? What do they look like? Uh, and it's not just demographic. I think that demographic is, in most people's minds, that's where they go when you ask them about their audience. They think, how old are they? Or is it gender specific? Is it geographically located? But it's really the psychographic. What do they what makes them angry? What makes them sad? What wakes them up in the morning and keeps them up at night? What makes them tick? What do they want from you? What do they need? What would they say they're afraid of? Those, those kinds of questions to really know your audience. Because, you know, it's like any form of communication. If you were to just write an email and you said, like, dear everybody, people would, once they realize that that's what this is, they click out. They're not interested in it. But if they realize that you know them, you intimately know them and that you're speaking to that part of them that you know, then they have trust. And the most important thing you can build with an audience is trust. So you have to have trust. Um, so I would say that's one. Another thing I would say is like, begin listening to your voice. So what do you sound like? Most people like, I will not listen to this podcast, not because it's <laughs> terrible. I just don't like the sound of my voice. Most people don't like the sound of their voice. The same is true for your writing voice. So mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll start by saying, when you're more you than you've ever been in your life as a writer, what would be three adjectives that describe the way you sound? So once you start to do create these kinds of basic exercises, then you're able to judge your writing. I'm able to say, you know, you say that you're conversational, but this feels very academic. So it's not about preference. We can't, we're building some guardrails around this idea, the way that you're going to sort of live out this creative exercise. So I start with like, super basic exercises to get people thinking about really what are they going to do? How are they going to do what they're going to do? And then the next step would just be to start putting together a proposal. If you don't know how to do that, if we have a, a I work for a firm, the Christopher Farabee group. And so if you go to Christopher Farabee, F-E-R-E-B-E-E.com, the firm has a, a link to uh, a guide for a proposal on the top right. And so it'll give you kind of a template and that's just a good place to start. So you can begin to kind of think about what makes your book unique? How's, what's it similar to and how's it different from the things that it's similar to? So it's a, it's a long process. If you don't have someone you know, like me, I would say find the closest version of that, somebody else who has written a book or who knows somebody who's written a book, um, that, that would be where I would start. Whoa. He's a pro. I know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the best. Yeah, the, the whole find your niche, you know, if, if you're set out to write a book, well, you should find your niche and if a book makes sense, then do it. It's kind of like acting or comedy, I'm assuming, where like I think a lot of the pros would say, oh, you want to be an actor? Are you acting? Like, are you reading about acting? Are you auditioning? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't... You know, or, or do you just see it and be like, I want that? Yeah, like it, it's not always zero to one. You know, the whole Gary Vee thing, like just document your process and put stuff out there that you care about, whether or not other people respond to it. Eventually, you'll find the niche in the audience that you can resonate with and they trust you. And eventually, that turns into willingness to buy, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel very 
privileged to have had a book basically fall in my lap. Like I recognize that most people out here are grinding to just get a meeting with an agent. Um, but there's a ton of things you can do on the front end to build your credibility. Like, and it's all free. Now on the flip side, I'm kind of like team don't spend your life on social media now having mm -hmm. been through three years of it. But I don't think there's any argument that you have ample free opportunity to create and distribute content out there that can help you refine what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. I love it. I've, I don't know. My mind's going nuts. Now I want to write just blurbs and ideas about books. Yeah. That'll go nowhere. Write a, uh, write fan fiction about blooper. I could do that. Where he came from. He's mm -hmm. the Atlanta Braves mascot. Oh, what planet he yes. came from. Yeah. What he thinks about. They, I mean, you've already got a, an in at, at uh, the Braves. Yeah. I objectify blooper all the time online. Yeah. <laughs> He's used to it. Where does his food go? Yeah. There's no holes. What's up? Yeah. It only has ears. Oof. He has ears, but yeah. I don't know. Left ear, right ear. What does he eat? Hard to know. Uh, so um, so what's, what's next? Do you feel like you're in your sweet spot, Jonathan, as far as helping people... Yeah, I'm always I'm I'm always looking for something the next the next thing. Yeah. I, I my, never stops. My specialty is finding people who don't who don't really fit, right? They're they're doing something that is kind of hard for people to get their heads around because it's it's different. And so when when everybody is zigging, I look for the guy who's zagging, the guy who's going the other direction, the guy who's like doing something that's really differentiating. And it's not a necessarily a guy. I've worked with lots right. of females and non-binary. I'm open to anyone. Right. But the the truth is, is that like, I think like I'm always looking for 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 what's next. But it's uh, it's tough to find these days because mm -hmm. everybody is, you know, it's like um, mimetic theory, right? It's a, or mirror neurons. Everybody's just just trying to do what somebody else is doing, and they go, oh my gosh, that's working. But the problem is, is that what makes that work is unique to that person. It's unique to when they started doing what they're yeah. doing, which you're now really behind on. And so I'm looking for people who are doing something in their own way. I think Ben was, was somebody who was like that. He was doing his own thing in his own way. And, you know, even after Ben's um, account went viral, we won't even name uh, some of the knockoffs that, <laughs> that came along afterwards that made him so angry that he would be like, they're literally just ripping me off. Yeah. and creating something but the thing is is where did those accounts go you know they're not they right. they they were they're derivative and i think like there's a lot out there that is derivative that doesn't that's not something that makes me interesting yeah. interested but if it's differentiated if it's new if it's fresh if there's passion behind it that stuff makes me and dustin you know dustin's one of my clients as well right. so um you know i i like i like things that are that are lighthearted as well they don't have to be serious yeah I mean, that's a book on marriage but it's funny what's it yeah. called how to be married how to be married to melissa to, to melissa, melissa. <laughs> perfect i love yeah. that because that's different like, we, like, right yeah, yeah. we don't know everything we know right we know what works for us yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly he's the best yeah and he's getting better like all of his content, he is but now he's so good he's wonderful uh ben what's next for you Say again, what's next what's for me? What's next for Ooh. you, yeah. Um, you know, I saw... What, what, what's next for you that you can talk about, right. Ben? Oh, uh, right. Secret. Teasing um, it out. On the... Um, Other than the Masters. On, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping something comes from this time at the Masters. You know, maybe I'll meet somebody and yeah. that'll be my next deal. Um, on the surface, I have sold out to the corporate grind. You know, I do sales for a startup in Dallas. That's... We basically put 5G towers on commercial real estate buildings. Um, pretty, you know, compelling stuff. Um but there is, there is one like moonshot thing 
with the account percolating that is very close to being able to be talked about that is, you know, uh, would take the account in a much better direction for a lot longer time. Uh, mm. That would involve uh, much more creative people than I. So um, hopefully I can announce that in a couple of weeks, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. That's exciting. That, that's crossed. a good little teaser. Entertainment moves very slowly. But it's an entertaining oh, thing. Oh, he said entertainment. It's a hint. <laughs> Mark Cuban. That's right. Mark Cuban. Shark, you're selling it on Shark Tank. You're That's selling right. the account on Shark Tank. That's right. Yeah. Your name and password. I would gladly, gladly <laughs> go on Shark Tank. We haven't sell. thought about that. No. But that, we really missed the boat on that one. Yeah, I know. Hey, Sharks. I have an <laughs> no, stick Instagram with me here. following <laughs> yeah. that is up for grabs. That's that's against the terms of service. I got happy people. I got furious people. I got all the people. It's kind of run its course. I'll give you 100% equity for just kind of whatever. What do you got in your pocket? That'd have to be a good pitch. We'd have to get Carl Lentz to come out of retirement. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd really send it over the edge. Yeah. And uh, thanks for all the the merch over the years. You you know I overwear that black hoodie. Dude, you're you're one of my... um, I think the only celebrity friend I have left that wears my merch is an ambassador. A public mm-hmm. forum. So I appreciate it. I would call me the C word. I don't know about all that. But there are some times I'll like post a it's TikTok. Like, that's yeah, like very out of place. Off the rails. Or like kind of too far. You'll like, always oh, see people I'm in the sorry. comments, like one person, like, is that a preacher's and sneakers hoodie? This makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I like it. If you send me free stuff, I'm going to wear it probably. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. Love it. Um, so how can people follow you? I guess we know that. Um, well, Preachersandsneakers.com is uh, with the letter N, not I-N. Preachers, letter N, sneakers.com is where you can find all this stuff. Um, but also, you can follow me or not follow me. You know, I, I think I started with zero. I'm good with going back to zero. I don't really care about people following me anymore. As long if they can check out the book, which is basically free now, like you can buy a used copy for $2, I think. Um, if you check out the book, that's what means the most to me because I think um, there's something in there for everybody and... Um, if you don't want to pay for it, I'll send you one because I got a ton of them. So cool. Love it. Terrible sales pitch. But <laughs> terrible. I could see why you didn't like doing the promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, stop get, telling them it's free. Hey, Jonathan, how about you? Oh, I'm on, I'm on all social media too. Yeah. People can find me there. My website, same, but, uh, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll do a sales pitch. Uh, one thing that I really do love doing every week, I send out a newsletter called the faith and culture five. And so it's like, there's so much information coming at us right now. And so what I do is kind of comb through all of the headlines from the previous week. And I give you like just the five stories at the intersection of faith and culture that you need to know. So if you're interested, I put a, I read a book a week. I always put the book on there. People can follow along and just sort of like stay up on it without having to like work really hard. So mm-hmm. maybe it's like the skim for, for faith and culture. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a scam? Is that still a thing? Or is that, so. did that go into the vine bin? I think it's, it's no, I think, they, I think they sold to somebody and probably made a bazillion dollars. I always subscribe to those things for six months. Yep. Oh, and wow. Then, That's how yeah. they make their money. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm like, I'm too stressed out. Unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Um, what are y'all's email sign offs? That's our final question. What do you put like right before your name at the end of an email? Uh, for work emails, I say best. Yep. And for preachers and sneakers st- stuff, I say much love. Much love. Much love. I love that you have different identities. Oh, it, yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very polar, two different identities. I accidentally so. said much love at work today. <laughs> <laughs> People didn't get it. That's yeah. good. Much love's good. I don't know if it's going to be like, be frugal. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Poverty gospel. <laughs> no Gucci, Ben. No Gucci. I always say best. <laughs>
But I also, I, I usually just sign my initials. Literarily? Just, just JM. JM. Capital J, lowercase m. I don't know why, where I picked that up. I've been doing that for years and years and years. It's very Banksy of you. Very weird. Mm, yeah. Always said Did John Mayer kind of take those from you a little bit? May, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's lowercase j, capital M. Okay. Because I'll see on his <laughs> no, I'm just post, kidding. I'll do JM. Does he? Does he, does he really? Yeah, yeah. Is it capital J, lowercase m? I don't know. It's something. It's, it's probably, JM. Probably both, probably both lowercase. Right. I don't know if that was your AA, Ron. That just kind of <laughs> no. stole your identity from you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Aaron and I are both on an email chain right now for a project where one of the guys signs off with uh, with gusto. Oh Whoa. my god! And I just can't even for every, every everything he says with with gusto. With it's gusto. his like signature, with the like gusto. you know the logo and everything. It's yeah. on there every time. So either he's has gusto all the time, or he's a liar. Yeah, he's, or or it's just this particular email is being sent. Maybe with, just this project, just this one. Gusto. Maybe yeah, you can't just say yes. every single email has with gusto. Yeah, that's a ton of gusto. You're gonna email yeah. like the IRS. Yeah. You have to tell some gusto, right? I don't know. It's like, sir, we don't believe you. My it's aunt, my aunt died with gusto. <laughs> with gusto. <laughs> with gusto. All right, well, guys, thanks so um, much for stopping by. Enjoy the Masters. Much love. Much love. Much love. Best. 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 Oh, no.